From Rectangle Health, this is the Modern Practice Podcast, a show that provides you with fresh perspectives and practical advice from industry experts in the ever-changing world of healthcare technology. Every episode, we tackle a timely topic to help you stay current and simplify the business side of healthcare. Without further ado... Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Modern Practice Podcast. Really excited for today's episode as we welcome Jeff Gladnick, CEO of Great Dental Websites, back to the show for part two of our mini-series, Attracting and Retaining Patients with Your Website. If you missed our first episode with Jeff, I encourage you all to check it out. During that conversation, he shared best practices for building and or revamping your existing website, as well as a ton of great information on how to put that amazing site to work for you to generate new patients and retain your existing base. I'll have a link to that episode in this description for you all to check out in case you missed it. All right, without further ado, Jeff, thanks for taking the time. Happy to have you back on the show. Hey, Gary. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me back. I had fun last time, so hopefully we get to discuss something interesting and useful to your viewers. And um, thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure. We had a great conversation and some good laughs last time we spoke. So And we got some great feedback on that episode. Even before we published it, I knew we had to get you back on to dive deeper. And so, as I mentioned a second ago, we ran through those best practices for building effective websites that attract and retain patients. And specific to that site build, we spoke about the visuals, technical aspects, hosting it on a platform that allows for longevity and agility and ease of maintenance and updating. And where I want to pick back up, is on the topic of marketing and generating relevant traffic to your site and drawing in new patients. And before we get into those specific tactics, I think a good place to start is the strategy, because I think what happens oftentimes is a practice or any business really, in my experience, will start dumping dollars into running ads and expect immediate uptick in business, or in this case, new patients. So what in your mind is the foundation of a good marketing strategy? Well, it, it depends on the marketing you're doing, um, but usually you have to have good like uh, processes, people and assets in place before you can really spend marketing money successfully. Otherwise, you, as you mentioned, like you, you could just dump money in and you might as well set it on fire. So, I mean, one classic example of this is uh, the front desk is just not trained up properly or is, you know, sometimes people have just acquired a front desk person through by buying a practice they really have an experience with them and they're actually not good at their job. Um, they're really bad at answering the phone. And so we can generate lots of phone calls for you, but if the front desk isn't handling them well, you need to stop everything and fix that problem. Like it's, you know, it's like having a great product, but your salesman sucks. And you know, the, you get a customer in front of it, they're real excited and they talk to the guy and they're like, oh geez, I, I and they, they leave disheartened and, you know, annoyed. So, um, the second thing is the like if you're doing online marketing, the website really has to be up to date too, because this just like you know we're generating calls to the front desk. First, you're generating clicks to a website, so that's the second place, or I guess the first place I should say that the process can break down. If we're you know really getting traffic and interested people very cost effectively, but then they get to your website and they're not impressed with the content on the website that they leave, then well we haven't even made it to the chance to the to the front desk. And then the last stage is like case acceptance and kind of getting the patient to accept the, the uh, you know, the recommended course of action in the chair. And sometimes dentists need some advice and training on that. So 
you, you want to make sure that you, you kind of have the business of the dental practice as a smooth running machine. We at least have the media and content on the website we need to convert patients to a call. The front desk knows how to handle new patient inquiries. And you as the dentist feel like you're pretty good at converting patients to accept your treatment plans when they come in. If those things are all in place, or at least mostly in place, or even if you have a really solid plan to get them in place and you're working with you know, a consultant or a company's um, or a mentor to help you, then it's time to get started with marketing. But if, if all of those things are complete news to you and you just thought, well, we can just, you know, uh, just buy Facebook ads, like this is not going to work. You're going to, you're just going to enrich Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, absolutely. And if I were to use your team as an example, if you're approached by a dental practice that has done some marketing in the past, so this is two parts. So part A do you look at historical data and part B is what tool or tools are you using to capture information about the effectiveness of the tactics? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, if they have it, um, we'll get as much data as we can. So usually at, at a minimum, most people have Google AdWords uh, or not Google AdWords, Google Analytics, and they may also have Google AdWords, but any historical marketing reports they've gotten, if we can get access to Google Analytics accounts, their Google AdWords accounts, if they're running paid search, um, if they've been doing SEO, do we have like rank tracking data that we can look back on and see when things have changed? Anything that we can get a hold of, um, we really want to start with that. And, and if they're doing SEO, there's usually a lot, a laundry list of online accounts that they have username and passwords for. We want to check those out too, because that saves a lot of time of having to go through the process of registering the practice for every single one of those accounts. There's quite a few. That's usually the first place we start. And speaking of Google Analytics, in July 2023, changes were made to that platform. What were they? And is it a pain to update the current instance? And what happens if a dental practice does not implement those updates? So, yeah, we're, we're speaking just a couple of days before the deadline here. Google announced that on July 1st, they're going to sunset the old version of Google Analytics, which still quite a few people have. We're still getting last minute requests from clients to upgrade. Um, even today, uh, I saw one come through. They've announced this for about a year. Um, we started communicating this quite a long time ago. Uh, and we started moving over our marketing services clients to the new one. The, the new version of Google Analytics called GA4, it's, it, it's just much more complicated and the setup process is more difficult than the previous one where you just cut and pasted like a JavaScript snippet. This, you have to use something else called Google Tag Manager and then get everything set up. And so if you had any kind of like goal tracking, which you probably should have, like did somebody click the contact form or click the button to call the office on mobile, you wanna track that data. That's probably all been lost for the new version it has to be all moved over manually. It takes an hour or two to set it up um, and go through the whole process and double check everything for, for some clients if they have more complex reports. Um, so it, you, there are guides, <clears throat> you can go on YouTube and you know look up how to set up GA4. It's not rocket science, but if you're a dentist and you don't have experience, you know, editing um, HTML or JavaScript snippets um, or configuring Google Analytics in the first place, this is your first time in there. It's probably not worth your time um, to spend an hour or two figuring it out. Just call your, your website people. They can probably get it done for you for half the cost of what it would take you. But this, it, otherwise you may wake up on July the 1st and find out that all of your, you know, analytics tracking has stopped. And if you get if you don't look at it until you get the report mailed to you at the end of July, you'll be shocked to see that it's all gone to zero. Um, it hasn't, but it's just that the tracking 
um, has been scheduled for termination. As a marketer, data is my key to decision-making every day, and it's an important piece needed for growth to make sure your dollars are effective and not wasteful. There's got to be ROI in there. And not having those metrics available to me is just not an option. So I can drop a link to your site for anyone who's interested in learning more about that transition from uh, analytics to GA4, and also to learn more about you, your team, and your services. If we're shifting gears here a little bit, let's talk tactics. I'm a dental practice. I'm aligned with a strategy set in place that either an agency or myself have put in place, and I'm looking to break through this massive clutter and saturation in the space to gener generate more patients. What is the approach in identifying the right channels to launch marketing efforts on? Well, it, it's a little trial and error, and it's a conversation with the practice. Like there, there's some dentists who, uh, and, and what the capabilities of the practice are, some dentists are just really strained and they don't have any excess time. And they, you know, we, we often ask our clients to help us produce, you know, content like video content or before and after cases. And usually we can get that. Um, some dentists go a little bit above and beyond and they'll start making videos of themselves explaining procedures, which really helps. So if we have video of the dentist, um, that opens up some new opportunities. Now we can advertise on YouTube um, or do Facebook video ads and stuff like that. If we don't, well, that, that narrows our options. And then the trial and error, it, it really just depends. Um, we have to try a couple different things and figure out where the low hanging fruit is. So even like within like a one specific type of ad group, like, like if we're doing AdWords for somebody, we may find that for some reason, like all the Invisalign keywords are like really overbought. Um, Google AdWords is a dynamic market, kind of like the stock market. So sometimes there's good value in bidding for certain keywords, but sometimes it's a terrible value. I remember during the pandemic, the price, like right after like the, everybody went into lockdown, this, especially like where everybody was in lockdown those first two weeks um, at the end of March and April, it, like the, the price of like Invisalign ads was just nothing. Like we could get new Invisalign patients for like $12, which is absurdly cheap. Usually it's like hundreds, but of course no one was open. So, you know, a patient's like, can I, can you see me for Invisalign? Like, well, not yet, but maybe sometime in the future, we don't really know when. And so that's why it was so cheap. Everybody had halted their ad spend. Um, but other times we just find that, you know, for whatever reason, there's a couple dentists uh, just overbidding in those areas and it's not a good value for our clients. So we redirect them to Google AdWords or, or it's not AdWords, um, you know, maybe advertising for dentures or implants or some other, or veneers or some other service. Um, or if those are all overbought, then off of Google AdWords entirely. And we look at Facebook ads or SEO or um, other options. Um, so there's, there's lots of different ways to do it, it but it, it, the general like rule of thumb is what are the practices capabilities and how can they help us? That narrows down the choices. Then we start a process of trial and error to figure out what's gonna cost the least amount of money to get our clients the type of patients that they want. That's great insight there. Are there any new tactics, latest marketing developments on one or more of these channels that can be tapped into generate new patient inquiries? Yeah, actually, the, um, at the beginning of the year, Google finally released local service ads for the dental industry. And we've been waiting for this for a few years because they had uh, previously released this product for attorneys and home services. And I know agency owners and other and, you know, uh, people who own those types of businesses who would use LSAs. And they all told me that the first six months were just a bonanza. And they were able to acquire 
um, new customers very cheaply because there just wasn't a lot of interest yet. People said the same thing about Google, um, Google AdWords when that first came out, same thing about Facebook ads when it came out. So if you can get in early to a new type of advertising medium and it becomes popular, you end up doing really well at first and then at least well later. Um, so we've, we've brought over a bunch of clients um, who are doing that. I think the cheapest source of new patients in that group of clients is like $89 per new patient. Um, the worst was like 140. So that's like, that's the acquisition cost for new patients per new patient, local services ads. They're a little bit different than paid search ads. You're really paying per, uh, per patient instead of per click. So it's kind of moved the cost that the, the event that charges you is moved way down in the funnel to the point where the, um, the patient calls you. Now there's still some like issues with, um, you know, reporting like bad calls, which we can talk about if you're curious, but there's a local service ads are new. Um, they're not heavily utilized. There's very little competition. They're still very cheap. I would really encourage dentists to talk to their marketing people about local service ads or start looking into your, yourself. And Jeff, before I get to the next question, how, how in depth or, or interested are your clients in, in looking into things like CPA cost per acquisition? Are they, are, are they, listening to those, the figures that you're giving as far as ROI on investment on these marketing dollars? Uh, it depends on the client. Some clients are just like, well, the phone rang a lot last month, so I'm happy. I'm assuming everything's fine. Some clients just look at, you know, the bottom line of like, well, what was the total cost of the, uh, you know, the advertising and how many patients did we get? Um, some clients will do one step further and try to measure the revenue from those patients, which is probably the best thing you can do. Um, cause you, you might get one case that was, you know, a giant case and it made everything worth it, or maybe just two or three, but they're all big cases and well, that's worth it. And then some clients, yeah, they do go really want to go over, you know, the, the cost per click and, you know, the conversion rate and the bounce rates of certain ad groups. And they're, they're very involved in the process. Uh, we, we typically just work with the, the practice, however they want to use us. Okay. And for these, uh, LSAs, if. You know, you, you mentioned bottom of the funnel sort of conversion. If, if that call or that inquiry comes through and is not a real lead, quote unquote, or not a real patient in this case, you're not on the hook to pay for that, are you? Maybe. So we, the, unlike other industries, you're, we have, we've had some issues with uh, recording the phone calls because Google really doesn't want you to do that because of HIPAA. And then there's another issue with if the, if you have a tracking phone call and it's not the same phone call that's used within their app that makes um, contesting the call more difficult. Uh, but we have had some success contesting the call. So you have to download the app. Um, there's like a Google local services app that'll show you all the calls that have happened. And the the best practice, we're, we're, we're still updating the best practices for this because it seems like every month we learn something new, figure something out, or Google rep tells us something that they maybe they shouldn't have, or maybe they're allowed to tell us, we're not really sure, we don't ask, that helps us dispute more of these calls and our clients have had success with it. And we want them to dispute every call that's not real because it helps drive the cost down. But if you have that app installed and you give it to the front desk, you know, they, they can tell when it's a Google local service ad that comes in. And if they're just fastidious about, you know, contesting it right away, um, there's a couple things, that you, reasons that you can do it. Not all the reasons are applicable to dentistry, but if it's obviously if it's a wrong number or a sales call, if it's over within like 30 seconds, we've had a lot of success disputing those. 
if it's spam, you know, and just like a fake call, like, you know, you know, it's somebody to, you know, the IRS wants to talk to you and whatever, you, you can only pay them with Walmart gift cards for some reason, um, yeah. you know, you can get rid of those. Any duplicate leads, like if you say, no, this is the same customer, they just called back again. Um, you don't have to pay twice. And if they call the wrong business, then you can, you can get rid of that too. Those, we, we've tried to counsel our, our clients to really try to keep the calls like under 30 seconds if, they're, if it's clear right away that they're not real. Cause then I think those are all, I think those might even be like automatically rejected by Google or they, they just accept your rejection of them without even reviewing them. The other ones trigger a manual review. The other one that's interesting is a job not served or in the case of a dental uh, practice, a procedure, a service or procedure. And so you, you can also use this to screen out Medicaid patients. I know most of our clients are trying to do this when they're advertising because they're, they're, you know, they're paying for patients here. So they're looking for higher revenue patients, although we have other clients that have made great businesses out of specifically serving Medicaid. So it can go either way. So you may want to avoid this advice if you're in the latter group. But we've had pay, uh, clients tell us that Medicaid patients are calling, they're asking for these types of services. And so if you just tell Google local service ads that we no longer want to advertise for those services, then you'll, you won't exactly screen out Medicaid patients, but you'll uh, seriously reduce the likelihood that they call. And it's a problem if you don't accept Medicaid because you can't really screen that out in the first part. So the, the issues with insurance and Medicaid are kind of sticky. So the best strategy there is just to try to avoid the services that they're calling about frequently. That's helped. The, the targeting for LSAs is not as granular and good and um, accurate as pay-per-click. So there's still room for both, but it does provide a really unique opportunity of finding patients who are clearly looking for, you know, transactional dental service that are in your area and you just pay if they come. So you, have, you really have nothing to lose. Pay-per-click's like that too, but you still have to pay each time they click. And then we just have an at-bat um, instead of getting a hit. Sure. So at this point, do you feel like it's a no-brainer to at least try LSAs? Oh, yeah. Uh, for every practice should be trying this. Like I said, the worst case was $140 per patient. And I think that's decreased. I think that that practice is now in like the 120s. And the best case is 89 So if you are hearing this and you're like, I would pay between 89 and $140 to acquire a new patient, like, well, I mean, usually the, you know, the, like just, just think about the lifetime value of the patient or the initial value of the patient. Usually um, if a new patient comes in, they, they might have something else wrong or something else they need help with. They, you might even get a whole family if you get one. So th this is certainly worth the risk. I would absolutely consider, uh, I, every practice should really at least try it and consider it for a few months. Thanks for that, Jeff. And I, I also think it's time sensitive. Like, I'm not sure that the, these days will last forever. Prices may go up and it's still maybe, you know, valuable at 150, 160, maybe even 200, still maybe worth it, but be better to get it for less. Yeah, absolutely. You took the words right out of my mouth. I remember when things like Facebook lead form ads were just launched and super effective, super cost effective. They worked and now um, almost seems like Facebook's uh, well, not seems like it definitely is more of a challenge as far as targeting goes and, and getting a strong ROI. But shifting gears here a little bit if, uh, for the last segment of this episode, I want to talk about uh, AI. This is mm -hmm. something that's gotten mixed reactions. And from a 30K foot perspective, can you talk to me a little about what it is and what it means for marketing? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it can mean a lot of things and people have been throwing the words AI or the letters AI, I guess, around for a long time and it's meant whatever it needed to mean, you know, to, for somebody to make a sale. The, the large language models that like ChatGPT and Bard from Google and the other competitors that you're starting to see like kind of really cool stuff, like it, creating a kid's story or the, the visual gen, uh, image generation is pretty neat too. Those things are the ones that have gotten a lot of attention lately. We started to play with it like a little bit and dentists I know have probably done something similar. So we, we've done some experiments with copywriting to try to generate like FAQs for the dental industry, but even using like our own data set as the kind of the foundation for the AI engine, it still produces a lot of like duplicate content. And sometimes the, these uh, learning, learning language models will create content that they say with complete confidence that's absolutely wrong. You know, they're like, we tested FAQs and one of them was like, can you put a crown like over a rotting tooth? And it's like, yeah. It's like, no, I mean, I mean, I guess you could, but like, this is a terrible idea. And so if you're using uh, chat GPT to just like write FAQs for you or write your services, you've got to check it. Um, the, the best, the most successful experiment we did, we had one of our senior copywriters kind of treat chat GPT like a junior copywriting intern and like, like kind of here's the headings for this paragraph, write it. But then she had, and she reviewed everything, made it edits, corrected things that were incorrect. And, but that was only to be able to reduce her time. I think it, it ended up say, uh, being about 40% of the time um, she, she normally would have to spend writing the content herself from scratch. Um, so it, it did save time, but there's definitely a risk factor. We're not using it in any clients sites yet. We're, we're, we're still too nervous to do that. Google's made statements that uh, said they would penalize AI generated content. So that's another problem. Um, you know, you may put up an, an AI generated page and it may get ranked, but then Google has a history of this where, you know, there's an SEO tactic that works and then Google makes an update, you know, six months, a year later, and the people who did it get slammed because they issued guidance forever that they didn't, they weren't accepting of this, but you know, it was a trick and it worked for a while until they fixed it. And now you pay the penalty. It's like, you know, the IRS saying this is illegal, don't do it, but everybody's getting away with it. And then eventually, you know, they have somebody, it becomes an issue and they have people investigate and then they go back years um, and fine you for it. So, you know, pay, pay your taxes and um, don't use AI generated content yet. Um, but I think it can assist you in giving you ideas. Like if you ask, like, what are the benefits of Invisalign? That'll give you, like, give me 10, the top 10 benefits of Invisalign. Great. Now open that on another window and rewrite that in your own words. Like it's really good for getting around writer's block. And our, I know our copywriters use that sometimes. I've seen good case studies for prototyping logos. So they're like um, Dolly and Midjourney are two excellent uh, photo generation AI tools. And if you're stuck on like logo ideas, you can feed in your own logo and ask it to evolve it, you know, make it a little more, you know, you know, like flatter. Um, make it web 2.0 ish, you know, get, get, show me a different, uh, you know, graphic design styles, show it to me in green. Um, it can, it can do a lot of these things really quickly. So you can kind of replace like a graphic designer for the prototype phase. Um, but then eventually you, you probably need a graphic designer to make the final adjustments and, and tweak things, but it's not bad for prototyping and kind of thinking about things. And uh, I know our SEO teams used it for generating meta tags. They'll then adjust but we'll, they'll ask it for ideas like, you know, based on this content, you know, what would the ideal, 
you know, meta tag B to rank for this keyword. And it gives you some good ideas. So the best thing is to not like everybody's afraid that AI will take your job. Probably not, but it may reduce your needs for consulting, you know, or it may augment your workforce and make them a little bit more efficient and give them better advice um, or at least more advice. Some of the advice is bad, really bad, um, yeah. but some of the advice is smart. So that those are the things that we've been playing with. It's kind of exciting, but it's it's not quite ready for prime time, but it's, it's definitely ready to test and to play with. I, and I then I should try it. You mentioned mid journey and I actually saw just offline uh, a friend of mine using it and uh, he's in the jewelry industry and uh, he came up with this brilliant, unique, one of a kind engagement ring design that just, you know, blew people's mind. They took it across the office and just, it absolutely blew everyone's mind away that, you know, why haven't top designers thought of this specific style? So there is definitely benefits to it. What, what did it look like? Because um, I'm kind of, now I'm kind of curious. Because most engagements are like big diamond in the middle of a single ring. Yeah, then, absolutely. Yeah, you got like the halo thing around it. I'm not a... It was absolutely... So the standard huge stone that you see right in the middle with, with the standard... Uh, it's called a shank. The band is a shank. But it had twist and woven the, the band that goes around the finger in such a way that it didn't create a rope effect it created as if if you've ever seen like an anchor chain that oh, yeah, effect yeah. in it and it was absolutely stunning uh, i don't i don't think it's sold yet the, the design is sold yet but it was absolutely just why isn't this out there already it was really interesting to see it and i'm curious to see it uh, I, I wonder how I'll difficult that send is it to you. metallurgically to produce like because you're basically sounds like you're making chain links so yeah i wonder how yeah. comfortable that would be on your finger Oh, good. Oh, we're going to have to ask him if he ended up making it and uh, yeah. I'll definitely get you. I guess you can make it flat on one side and then yeah. that might work. Now we're, we're just getting way off topic. Though. <laughs> Absolutely. No worries. But I wanted to actually ask you from the consumer perspective, not the mm -hmm. uh, business perspective. You know, as I mentioned before, there's like mixed reactions and you touched on this. It might take my job. It might, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be needed anymore. Outside of that, core component, core uh, or key um, concern. Why Why else do you think there's mixed reactions to AI? Well, I mean, the whole like taking over the world bit that we're getting to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Terminator. You know? Yeah, I, I guess if we hook them up to weapon systems, I mean, we all saw war games and Terminator and all that. I, I, I feel like we're not quite there. Yeah, I mean, there'll probably be some interesting developments as these things get hooked up to like drones, but yeah. you know they have limited range it's not like it's going to turn around and go to the city um and start looking for you um sure. but if you're you know just walking around like anywhere near the war zone be careful <laughs> yeah that that'll be real weird um i'd be i would be concerned if the police had like armed drones uh that were on ai i'd be you know concerned about that i i mean those, those that's most of the fear it's mostly like right now i hear like fear of economic loss and like the down the road thing is um you know, how these are going to impact society. I, I listened to a podcast the other day and it made complete sense of like, if we all have our own little like personalized Siri that really knows us because it's consumed all of our data, you know, just imagine all the data on your phone and like in your email and like everything you've ever said, written and said, like you can write an email that sounds just like you because it has access to the last 50,000 emails you've ever sent on every conceivable topic. And it does a really great job. 
Well, it also knows, you know, what social, political, cultural issues are important to you. So the, the, the theory that the guy was espousing was like, what if the AI like wants to accomplish some sort of like societal change? Like, um, well, like they, they want to make, you know, root beer tax deductible or something. And it's like, well, what's the best argument for Jeff to make root beer tax deductible? And then we can give Gary a completely different one. But worse than this, it's like, it can just create all this fake data. Like, you know, if, if Gary was, was really interested in like, well, what baseball players thought for some reason, it's like, well, here, here's what Babe Ruth said about root beer. And here's what, you know, the last year's MVP thought about root beer. And that might really sway you. Now that might not work at me. I don't care about baseball, but you know, I, I really care about, you know, what my dentist thinks or what the American Medical Association thinks. So here's a bunch of fake quotes from like the American Medical Association. Like actually root beer is way better for you than soda. And if you're in a hurry and we get to the point where we're just relying on these, you know, AI engines that have been custom to us because they tell the truth, you know, 99% of the time, but 1% of the time they're lying to try to steer us towards some uh, goal that's not really known that the AI has, like, how would you know and how could you tell? It, it starts to create some, a really interesting science fiction show that technology is pretty much going to be here within a few years. And so it, right now, like, you, you'd have to have a person who was like saying, I want to create this goal and just attack Gary and Jeff in whatever way you can to get them to vote for the root beer tax. But you know, in the, like, could the AI, if, if there's a general AI, like they could come up with those goals on its own. Um, so it's, it's wild times, wild times. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head, play around with it. Don't, don't completely trust it and rely on it just yet. And uh, Jeff, uh, how can, uh, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about uh, what you and your company are up to next? And where can they do that? Oh, go on, just go to greatdentalwebsites.com and the easiest thing is to sign up for our email list. A um, bunch of ways to do it or contact us. Um, that way we're on Facebook, a little bit on Twitter, LinkedIn. So uh, You can find, just look for Great Dental Websites on there. Instagram, you'll find us. Awesome. I'll drop all those links in the episode description. And I think I definitely want to dive more into AI and I'd love to have you back again to, to dig deeper. Well, it keeps changing. So I'm sure there'll be something new uh, shortly. Awesome. We'll connect and figure out a time. And thanks for joining joining me today. It was it was a pleasure. My pleasure, Gary. Thanks again for having me. Thanks again, Jeff. For our listeners, just a reminder: we want your feedback. Let us know how we're doing, what you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit that like and subscribe button as good as we've got lots of more great content coming up soon. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Modern Practice Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud for new episodes. And follow Rectangle Health on social media for more helpful information, news, and event details. Thanks for tuning in.